You're listening to Lanyap, a weekly digest of news, personal finance, brotherly banter, and whatever else is on our minds. From Stokes Family Office. This is Lanyap Podcast with Greg and Doug Stokes. Today, Doug is joining us from Sonoma, California. He's been on a family trip with day six of a family trip. Yeah. We're recording over the Easter break here. So, Doug, how's it going? I'm looking at myself in the recording video. And I, first of all, I'm completely underdressed. I'm wearing a hat, but also look like I've got some battle scars from six days of basically confinement because the weather has been terrible, but confinement in the house with a almost five-year-old and almost three-year-old and a three-month-old. It's been an adventure. Although it's today is absolutely beautiful. So we're excited about our this is our last day here and we're gonna live it up. Yeah, there's definitely a difference between a family vacation and a vacation with your wife. Yeah. Well, I was talking to Sarah about this yesterday. I was like, we're going to bed at like eight thirty every single night and we're absolutely exhausted. It's like way more exhausted than I typically am during the week where I can actually go into the office and have adult conversations all day. I mean, this is like physically and emotionally draining for, you know, 12 to 14 hours straight every day without a break. And so we're just completely wiped. The positive is like in the afternoons, we've been just going to wineries, whether if the weather's nice, we'll sit outside. If the weather's not nice, we'll go to like a wine cave. With or without kids? With kids. But so it's funny, like they'll, we'll do a taste, a wine tasting. And then, you know, we'll, we'll Google family friendly winery all of these have like a perfect setup for kids. And so they'll pour like grape juice to taste for the kids while we're tasting, <laughs> tasting wine. So it's been like a very good bonding experience. And that's been more time at work than I do at home and, you know, and not a whole lot of time with kids. And so this is a good bonding experience. It's a bonding experience. You probably don't want to repeat for. <laughs> right. Well, you, <laughs> you get all of these like grand aspirations travel wise with kids. And especially since like we haven't been able to travel much in the last couple of years because Sarah has been pregnant with Sally. And so now we've got three kids, we're done having kids. And so we're all excited about booking travel. And so I think we got a little bit over our skis on this particular trip, but it's, you know, what are you going to do? I, I think we need, we need a break and I'm ready to get back into the office. I will tell you that the wine just tastes so much better here. And it has been a wonderful experience, like going to these different places and trying different wines and getting educated on it. And they always bring out like cheese and charcuterie boards. And and then we went to some farm that also had a restaurant at it called Farmstead in St. Helena. And Anders, our five-year-old, you know, saw a farmer that was like tending to the garden. And the guy like babysat him for for about an hour helping like pick that's awesome. green beans and broccoli and cauliflower and stuff. So it is so beautiful out there. Oh, it's wonderful. It's just when the weather's not nice, which it, ha- it hasn't been nice for three days uh, before today, there's not a whole lot to do. It's not like you, it's going to the beach or anything like that. You're basically entertaining your kids all day. What wineries have you visited and which ones have been your favorite? So I think I would like separate this between kid friendly and not kid friendly. So we're in Sonoma, which is a lot more sort of a sleepier version of like the Napa road. So you have like Napa, Yonkville, St. Helena, Calistoga on one side of the valley. And then mm-hmm. on this side, it's it's basically Sonoma, 
Kenwood and all the way up to like Santa Rosa. On this side of the valley, we went to a place yesterday called Ledson, which was like, it's a kind of like a castle looking property and it's great with kids. And they uh, had like plastic wine glasses for the kids to drink and the grounds were really great. And then one of the groundskeepers told us that there was a couple of rattlesnake dens nearby. So to you know, be careful. So that got Andrew super interested as to see if he can like hear a rattlesnake or something like that. And then on the other side of the valley, we went to another castle called Castello Amorosa, which is like Castle of Love or whatever. And it's like a legit, you know, looks like a legit 15th century castle with a moat and turrets and everything. Turns out it, it celebrated its 15th anniversary uh, this year. So it's not a not a real castle, but the kids absolutely loved it. And they had farm animals and things like that. Mm-hmm. So those were two great ones with kids. In terms of actually good wine, we went to a place called Gunlock Bunshu in Sonoma, which is a wonderful sort of family-run winery. And we haven't made it up here yet, but I got to plug Zakiki Vineyards, which is in Healdsburg, which we've been to before, which has fantastic wine and, and great service as well. So, What type of wine is uh, uh, like the best type that comes from your specific area? So this is like Zinfandel Cab and Pinot world over here. Yesterday we were drinking a lot of Zinfandel from Ledson. And then uh, the day before that we were drinking sort of a blend uh, from Buena Vista. Both were great, but the, everybody, everywhere you go here, they're like big Zinfandel people. Although Gunlock mm-hmm. Bunshu has a really good Pinot that we had. So I would totally recommend the trip. And it's an amazing trip with kids if the weather's great, but if the weather's not nice, like we have this pool right here and it's, an amazing pool overlooking the valley. And then you've got like Sonoma right below you, but it's, you know, 50 degrees outside. So how is the town of Sonoma? It's awesome. So it's basically a plaza, like an old Spanish plaza with, you know, the road is surrounding the plaza. There's shops and restaurants all around the plaza. And then in the plaza itself are two awesome playgrounds for kids. And so what people will do, and we did this on Easter is, Go set up a picnic on one of the picnic tables in the plaza. It's all tree covered. It's beautiful. And then have wine and cheese and snacks and then let the kids play on the playground. So we did that Sunday and Monday. Wonderful. And then we got bad weather uh, the next few days. It's Friday now. It's our last day. And so we'll do that this evening. Oh, that sounds before nice. the, we'll do it before the Pelicans game, which you're going to tonight. Yeah, I'm really excited about that. The Pel for for people. This is going to come out, you know, five weeks from now or whatever. But the Pelicans, they're having their they're hosting their first home game of the series tonight against the Suns, and there were huge underdogs. The Suns were like the basically the best team in the NBA this year, and they their record was like in the they they there's 82 games in the season. They won like 65 games or something like that. Pelicans, on the other hand, 82 games they won like 35. So Pelicans went into the series as super underdog super big underdogs well they had to win two games to even get into the series too yeah it's insane and those were like super exciting games um as well and so like the last game we played against the suns we were like a 12 point underdog or something like that and we ended up winning and the sun's best player devin booker got hurt so there's actually like a semblance of a chance that we can come away with this series and move on in the playoffs which would just be so awesome for the team and the city so it's so nice to have like this weekend has got so much going on. French Quarter Fest started yesterday. It's going on today, tomorrow, 
today's Friday and Sunday, I saw this blimp has been circling outside of our office because they're having the the Zurich Classic, the golf tournament with pro golfers in New Orleans that's going on this weekend. Which is wildly popular now because they have that different format. The Zurich Classic used to be sort of a tournament that pros skipped in between you know other tournaments. And now it's like the most fun tournament on tour for all these pros because you get to pick your playing partner. And Oh, really? I don't know. How does it all work? So normally it's just a like random or is it based upon how you're performing? Yeah, normally it's just a, it's a your solo player and it's lowest score wins over four days. Right. But this one is a team golf. It's sort of like a Ryder Cup type format in which there's it could be alternate shot, could be best ball, et cetera. And the players get to pick who they want. So they play with their buddy on one of the stops. And so and fans get really into it. It's sort of like trying to be a similar type tournament that the Waste Management Open has in Phoenix, which turns out to be a huge type party Mm -hmm. along the tour. And New Orleans is becoming one of those stops. And like you said, I mean, there's so much going on in the city. Next weekend is Jazz Fest, week one of Jazz Fest. Two weeks ago, we had the Final Four and Hogs for a Cause on the same weekend. I mean, New Orleans is we go so hot and cold on New Orleans living there. I'm so hot on it right now. We went out to eat on Wednesday night at Mr. John's, which is a, like a local old school style steakhouse. And it was packed to the gills. There were people standing up in the bar area and on a Wednesday too. Yeah. So I'm I'm really bullish on the city for now. I mean, it's like. We got to get through a couple hurricane seasons without any major impacts. I agree. People are not going to want to be deal with that on a regular basis. Like if you have yeah. somebody from out of town that is looking to live here. And they have to leave town for two weeks at a time. It's just not going to work. So you're right. If we get through that and if crime gets under control, it's like this kind of stuff makes me like remember why I love living here because there's so much going on. There's so much action. The food is so good. My wife and daughter recently went to Europe. They went to Paris on a three generations, mother-in-law, wife, and daughter. And my wife said the food was really good, but because of the food that we're used to in New Orleans is so fantastic. It's not like it's this huge step up in terms of like what we're used to, to begin with. We talked about the same thing here in California and like Sonoma and Napa Valley is, is very known for farm to table and fresh and really good food. Right. Like Anders was picking vegetables and stuff. And like, yeah, exactly. And, and, and the food is, and the food is fantastic, but it's honestly, New Orleans, New Orleans has better food than, than they do here. And the restaurant selection, there's like, at least near us, I mean, we're more of a, a quiet part of the valley, but at least near us, there's like two or three restaurants that have really high ratings. Now you have like the French Laundry and all these like really fancy mm-hmm. restaurants that I haven't been to and couldn't get in. But the ones that people recommended to us to try here, it's like, yeah, it's good, but New Orleans food is better. I agree. And we've got all the sort of ingredients, no pun intended, <laughs> to be like a really to be that destination. And the, and there's like the architecture here is amazing that there's stuff to do. So there's no reason why, I mean, there are a lot of reasons why New Orleans is, you know, hasn't blossomed into what it could become. But I mean, like there's no place like New Orleans and you can't recreate it anywhere. We were talking about this a couple of months ago that there was like, we were getting emails and calls from people in the, in the real estate development space that were out of towners looking at New Orleans as like the next, you know, major investment for their particular fund. So it was like a redevelopment of an old building in downtown New Orleans. And somebody was looking at buying some hotel in the French Quarter, or a couple of hotels in the French Quarter. And I remember talking to these guys. I was like, guys, 
you might want to talk to a local before you make a major investment in the city because nobody's more bearish on New Orleans than New Orleanians. And so I, I got a kind of a laugh that all these all these out of towners were looking at making major investments in New Orleans. I was like, why would you ever do that? Well, you go through a, a month like we've gone through in New Orleans where the weather's been perfect and you've had so much to do on the weekends and the city's real active. And you say, oh, okay, well, that's that's the reason. Well, the other reason too, I think that there is, New Orleans has these like old bones from like the way the city developed was it 1700s, it started in the French Quarter that burned down. The French Quarter was really built in the, the early 1800s and then it sort of developed over the years. And so you have these really cool mid 1800 buildings outside of the quarter that are kind of been dilapidated, et cetera. So they present really interesting development opportunities for people to build these like sort of luxury, chic hotels. Like you said, if we get through a couple of hurricane seasons and people don't have to deal with the stress associated with that, and you have all these things come online and really like these hotel developments, it could could be awesome. Yeah. I don't know how long we've been talking, maybe 20 or 20 minutes or so. And we haven't mentioned one thing about markets, which is we're probably keeping it in the periphery since we're at, we had about a 12 or 13% correction that got back to maybe three or 4% down at the end of March. And now we're back to maybe a a 12% correction here in the last week of April. What's your sense as to what's going on in the markets and what's your intuition telling you about volatility? So what the traders talk about in this type of instance is this was a dead cat bounce as that's the term of <laughs> so when you had like a, a bear market rally yeah. right exactly bear market rally essentially um although we haven't gotten technically into a bear market territory in the S&P 500 the Nasdaq has the bear market is defined as 20% from market peak to the bottom or to market peak to 20% as bear market um so we're in correction territory right now which is just it's these arbitrary terms is 10% in the S&P 500. I don't know what to say. I, I think that we, we have talked about this in the past. Long term, our job really as portfolio managers and as advisors is to try to, to put context in these types of situations for clients and that these are normal type of market events. Historically, if you look at the stock market from the from 1980 till present, you get like a intra-year decline, average intra-year decline, meaning the calendar year returns have been like 9% on average in the S&P 500. But the intra-year decline, and we'll post this chart on the show notes, but the intra-year decline has been negative 14%. So you've gotten 9% if you've held over this whole 40-year period, but intra-year, you've had to deal with at least a 14% correction on average to get that 9% rate of return, which is like the price of admission to get that 9% rate of return. Nobody knows what's going to happen prospectively. The way that I see it, the market is looking at the fact that we've got high inflation right now. The Fed has indicated that they're going to raise rates to combat inflation. And so the risk that is present is that the Fed oversteps and causes a recession, which causes earnings to go down. And as we all know, stocks are priced relative to their earnings. So if earnings go down, then the stocks themselves could go down as well, too. And then you just have sentiment as well, too, that is just been a little bit more negative lately. And that is a big part of the way that securities are priced as well, too. You get Price to earnings is an important function of how securities are priced. But if people just don't want to buy and want to sell, that's another thing that goes into the equation as well, too. So that's my general thesis. Long term, if for the people that have a real long term time frame, that's, you know, this is kind of just par for the course, but it doesn't make it any less unpleasant dealing with it. Although for younger people, 
you want the market to go down and prices of securities to go down. If you're adding your money, you want to, you'd rather be buying when prices are lower and you can buy more shares of stocks or whatever than if you're buying, you wouldn't want to be buying at higher prices. So I think it's uh, you know part of the name of the game and we'll just have to see how it plays out. But if you're young, it's almost something you want, you root for something like this. Because if you're putting deploying capital, you want to be buying at lower prices rather than higher prices. Yeah. And a, well, a couple thoughts on what you said first as it relates to the average intra-year decline in the markets of 14%. So I think that that chart goes back to like 1980 or I'm, it's going off mm-hmm. of memory and the markets are up three out of every four years since 1980 for an average of a 9% average annual rate of return with 14% of downside volatility on average in each year. How many times during that period were people like, well, this time is different because this is going on and this is going on and this is going on. It's always this time is different. But if you look up, take a bit more of a 30,000 foot view at this, you view this is basically par for the course from the perspective of, as you said, price of admission. So I think that that's absolutely right. The second piece is you mentioned that this was a, a gift to young people that you want downward volatility because every time, especially if you're like, let's say you're saving into a 401k plan or something and you're getting paid every two weeks or twice a month. You get your your contribution, your employer's contribution. That's just you averaging into the market every time you get paid. And you want sort of that flat or downward trajectory in markets when you're doing that so that on the eventual recovery, you have more shares of ownership of whatever you're buying. But I will say it's also a blessing in disguise for older people who, I'm not saying stocks necessarily, and let's say we get a rebound in stocks, but the rise in interest rates has afforded people the ability to not be as aggressive as they had to be, you know, maybe last year, the year before to achieve a, a reasonable rate of return. Now you can get really high grade corporate bonds, municipal bonds in the three to 4% range for not a crazy long duration. And so, and I don't think inflation is going to be at 8% annualized for a long period of time. I think we'll, a lot of the stuff that is causing that 8% inflation rate is COVID related and supply chain related that will temper over time. So I think we come down off of this high inflation rate over the next couple of years. Obviously, we talked last couple episodes ago around globalization, and maybe we don't get the major disinflationary force that we were expecting before the Russia-Ukraine conflict. But I do think that we're not going to have 8% inflation for several years. It may come down to 3 4 percent next year and the year after. So that basically means that if you've got somebody that can lock in interest rates at three, four, five percent, and inflation is coming down over time and your required rate of return to meet all of your objectives, you know, was five or six percent before, well, you've got your bond portion of the portfolio that can earn a, a big chunk of that. You don't have to get as aggressive as maybe a year ago when bonds were paying zero or one percent. You basically had to be mostly stocked to achieve a a five or six percent long-term rate of return. So I view this as a positive for savers that you can buy into, you know, lower prices. The interest rate component is a positive for people that can take a little bit of risk off the table and lock in rates at three, four, five percent long-term and fixed income. I agree with you completely. The interesting thing about the bond and stock market is it's really difficult psychologically, though, for people to see to look at this through the lens that we just talked about, where it's a positive for savers, it's a positive for 
people that are, need to meet a required rate of return and can do so by buying bonds and locking in those rates for the long period of time, assuming inflation comes down. The sort of psychological issue is that when, when things go on sale in the stock and bond markets, it's really hard to take advantage of that because the, the human aspect of investing is that things are going to continue to get worse, which they might. But it really is a good opportunity if you look at it through the lens of long term and try to separate your, you know, your natural psychology from the situation. And if you think about it, I actually remember listening to a guy by the name of Nick Murray, who's an, an author in our industry, talk about how he loves tuna fish and that if tuna fish goes on sale, he just racks up as much tuna fish as he possibly can in any given period of time. And that same sort of philosophy should apply to the stock market. If you love investing, this is the, this, the, and things go on sale. Now's the time to back up the truck basically. Yeah. I just, I mean, imagine seeing somebody load up on tuna fish at a grocery store because it went on sale. That would be a bit of a, an odd. Right. I know, but it's whatever analogy that he drew at that point in time <laughs> still stuck with me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I mean, that's the psychology of investing. It's almost like you have to force that behavior as an investor and say, I'm going to commit to you know, buying when some event like this happens. It's kind of like the Verdad Capital guys, right? Talk more about that and how that is actually like a system that they have in place. Yes. And we're not associated with these guys at all, but I had a conversation with this group out of Boston called Verdad. And they set up a fund in 2020, early 2020, that basically the idea was in an event where markets go into crisis, that they were setting up a fund where they were going to call. You had to commit to the fund before the event occurred. You never knew if the event was going to actually occur. And then in the event that it does occur. What's the triggering event? It was high yield spreads, which basically means that if junk bonds become their rates on junk bonds become so much higher than treasuries, that's because the markets are thinking a lot of these junk bonds are going to default. So if everybody goes risk off. Whole market goes risk off. Their model was to call capital that from people that have committed previously to call capital and invested in the most cyclical, smallest cap companies that they could find and hold it for a couple of years and then return that capital. Like so regional banks or something like that. Energy companies, mining companies, retailers. Like the crummiest equities right. out there, essentially. So right. during the high- market's thinking, market's overreacting in aggregate overreacting and thinking that all of these companies are going to go bankrupt. And so it prices them to at you know three and four times earnings. And then you know, you're hoping that more than you know the vast majority of them don't go bankrupt and the market has overreacted and then you hold for a couple of years and, and exit. So they were able to produce a very high rate of return for their investors, but which is an aside, it, it worked in their scenario and it's worked in prior scenarios based upon a back test. But the big piece, which is so interesting to me, is that it's forced discipline. It is saying, while the times are good, I'm committing, contractually committing to investing a sum of money when times are going to be bad. And I don't know when that time is. And then, and then that triggering event occurs. Right. It's kind of ironic. Human beings like, like, so what was the name of that? Like Meb Faber, who's an investment manager in California, had a fund that was like essentially, it was built for like an, to be in like an insurance policy in times of crisis. And they were attracting a tremendous amount of capital in the March of 2020, April of 2020 time period. I have to look and see what the exact name of the fund was and their strategy. You might know it off the top of your head. Yeah, tail, tail. 
tail, tail risk. It was like a tail risk fund, but yeah. they were getting massive inflows at that point in time. The fund got, you know, was it would increase exponentially the amount of assets they're advising. During that period of time, people were basically had it was it's like the the whole old saying is they're bringing out an umbrella after the rainstorm essentially had passed. People should have been doing the exact opposite, like these guys that Verdad did by instead of like buying the sort of ins- the tail risk or insurance policy during that period of time, people should have been buying these really like horrible companies essentially because they had sold off so much. Yeah. So I, I found that so interesting and you know, whether or not we do anything like that is remains to be seen, but I, in terms of you know, deciding whether to invest in that particular manner, but I just love the idea of forcing discipline when times are good. It's so easy to say, Hey, I'm going to wait for the next bear market before I invest in. And so a lot of, that's a lot of people do. It's like, I'm going to wait for a correction before I don't want to invest money now when markets are all time highs or whatever, but then the correction comes and then they don't do anything. Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen anybody that has been able to sit, like be in an all cash and waiting for that time period. And then successfully deploy it. It's always an excuse. Right. You're like, oh, I'm going to wait for it. It's going to be another five. Or, you know, there's some political event happening right now that's that, you know, there's always these, the thought processes that there's always an excuse not to do it. And so if you actually have a forced way to do that, like these guys have constructed, I think that is really cool. Yeah. Well, I think we're over on time. Uh, how long have we been going for? We've been going for 30 minutes. So you got, you got one more day left. And then you can come back to the office from your vacation and relax. Uh, <laughs> exactly right. Right. That's, that's the way it goes. We always say, we text Greg, my brother Pat, and I text uh, very frequently on Monday mornings at about 7 a.m. And we say T-G-I-M. Right. Thank God it's Monday. Thank God. Because, I mean, with these little kids. <laughs> I'm getting into the golden age, though, of parenting. I've got my two oldest are going to be in summer camp this summer a sleepaway camp for two weeks and four weeks, which is going to be like, I'm going to be able to have like a nice vacation with my wife, which is like something we haven't really had, you know, consistently since we started having kids about 10 years ago. And so I've got a three-year-old, so she's got a couple more years till that period of time when she, but eventually we're going to have all of them in summer camp for four weeks, which is going to be just, I can only imagine how awesome that is to be, how relaxing that must be to, to travel. We're in a busy phase of life right now, but anyway, travel safe. Hope you guys enjoyed and please uh, share and like and comment and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode of Lanyap. This podcast is brought to you by Stokes Family Office and produced by Reverb. If you liked this episode, consider sharing it with a friend. You can subscribe to future episodes in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about Stokes Family Office and Lanyap, visit us at stokesfamilyoffice.com. The information in this podcast is educational and general in nature and does not take into consideration the listener's personal circumstances. Therefore, it is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized financial, legal, or tax advice. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a final decision.